All right, good morning. It is good to have you here. We've uh, got a few less people than last week, it looks like, but it is, God is sovereign. He has brought the right people here today, and I am so thankful that you are here. Listen, um, if you were at the, the marriage conference this, this weekend, uh, it was phenomenal, and I want to I wanna say just a big thank you to, especially to Leslie, uh, for, for helping out with the, the child care. Eli was talking to me all the way to church this morning about what you guys did yesterday, and he had a blast. And so I appreciate everything that you did. I think everybody that was there really got a lot out of Paul Tripp's talks, and if you're interested in, in uh, hearing those those talks, um, there may be a possibility that we could do like a, maybe even a cross training or something at some point this summer where we, we offer those, uh, those talks as an option if you weren't able to be here with us this past weekend. But it was a phenomenal time. Tasha uh, and, and Tiffany helped to, to decorate and did a, did a phenomenal job. We had uh, several, several couples from, I think we had about 10 couples from our church and then um, several couples from other churches that, that came and participated with us in that, and so really encouraged by that, and pray that God would use it to strengthen our, our marriages. Um, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We've been walking through the book of Luke together for over a year now, and if, you, if you're new with us, if, if, uh, if you haven't been with us, it's okay. I'll give you the context of what's going on in this passage, and it is a, it's, a, it's a powerful passage. It's a very practical passage. It's a, we're going to be talking about worry, anxiety, and so I'm going to start by just asking a question. I want you to be honest. Raise your hand if you go through seasons where you worry. Okay, <laughs> we're honest. Well, keep them up. Now, and and, and uh, let's see, like if you are, like if you, if you give yourself like a 10 on the worry scale, I mean, put it up there even higher. Okay, some of you. Okay, so here, here it is. Stop it! <laughs> All right, let's pray. <laughs> I wish it was that easy, right? I wish it was that easy. Uh, we're talking about a topic that it's easy to talk about, but it's difficult, it's challenging to stop anxiety. And, and I, I'm sure that none of you wake up in the morning and say, look, you know what, today I am looking forward to spending the whole day worrying Okay. In fact, you know what? I'm going to wake up and I'm going to start the day off with, I'm going to journal all of the worst case scenarios that could possibly happen today because I want to prime the pump of anxiety in my heart. Okay. Nobody does that, right? Nobody likes to worry. Nobody wants to, to worry. Nobody wants to, to have that in their hearts, but it is all over the place. It, it, anxiety is flooding our world. Did you know that it's estimated that a third of Americans suffer from some sort of anxiety disorder, okay, like diagnosable. And these are only, this is the people that have actually gone for help, okay? And, and so I'm, I'm imagining the numbers even higher. In fact, $42 billion, I can't even comprehend that number, $42 billion will be spent this year dealing with anxiety in America, $42 billion, and as Christians, this shouldn't be a huge shock for us. We live in a broken world, right? We live in a broken world, and we talked about it in cross-training this morning. Because of the fall, 
We're not just living in a, in a world that's difficult. We're living in a world that the fall caused brokenness in four primary relationships. And you see this in Genesis chapter 3. First of all, there's the brokenness between the relationship between us and God. That's a primary relationship that is broken. There's a brokenness, but if you're taking notes, yeah, us and God. And so we have a holy, righteous God that we have sinned against. And sin is not just making a mistake. It's not just like breaking a, a little rule. It's rebellion. It's saying, look, I know better than you, God. I want to be God. It's committing treason against the creator of the universe. And so there's a broken relationship between us and God. There's a broken relationship between us and other people. You saw that in, in Genesis 3, the curse. There's going to be challenges, and we saw this this past weekend, in our marriages. Okay, there is spiritual warfare in our marriages because of the fall. That's just part of the reality of the fall, that, that there's going to be hostility between people. In the, in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, Cain, filled with jealousy, murders his brother. And so all the wars that we experience, the, the divorce, the, 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 the challenges that we have within a church family, Anytime there's, if there's a relationship, there's going to be conflict. And so there's going to be challenges because we live in a fallen world. There's a brokenness between our relationship and others. There's a brokenness between us and our relationship with creation. In general, uh, Genesis 3, when the curse comes to Adam, he says, Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. And so the challenges we have just to survive in this world, the, the natural disasters, the, the global warming, famine, plagues, pain and childbirth, all a result of a brokenness between us and the creation. And not only that, though, and this is what we're going to really dive in today, there's a brokenness in the relationship between us and us. Okay, within us, there's a war going on. Even before you were a believer, there was probably moments where you, you felt pain in your conscience because of sin. But if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you recognize that the Christian life is war. And the greatest battles, the most fierce battles that you have are raging within you. The new birth... When the Spirit comes in us, it, it is followed by growth, and growth is painful. Growth involves warfare. You see that war raging in Paul in, in Romans chapter 7. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. And then in Galatians 5, Paul describes that battle like this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so what, this is what he's saying. That look, there's two laws inside of you. There's two opposing forces inside of you. There's, there's the, your, your natural sinful flesh that you're it's the, just there from the day you're born. I see it in my two-year-old. And then when you trust in Christ, there's a new nature that is 
that infiltrates your heart. The Spirit of God indwells you. And so that the purpose of the Spirit is what? It's to, to magnify Christ in your heart so that you would glorify Him and you would obey Him. And so you've got these two opposing forces inside of you waging war. And so some people, they, they, they think, well, if I become a Christian, then everything is going to be peaceful, which there is a peace that comes with knowing Christ, uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding, but there is also a war that wages in our heart that is actually inflamed when we become a Christian because now there is the Spirit of God in our, in our flesh. And so the, the pursuit of holiness is a constant struggle. And so the good news of the Bible is that God has provided a way of redemption where the whole story of the Bible is the, the healing of all of these relationships that we're talking about. The relationship between us and Him, the relationship between us and others, the relationship between us and creation, and the relationship between us and us. The gospel is about healing those relationships. And that's good news. And this morning, more than anything, I want you to see that Christ offers a peace that the world cannot offer. Christ offers a peace that the world cannot offer. The vast majority of the $42 billion that will be spent this year on dealing with anxiety will be spent on medication and therapists that will help people learn techniques to cope better. And don't get me wrong, sometimes we need medication. And sometimes we need to learn better coping strategies. But none of those deal with the heart like Jesus does. None of them get to the root issue like Jesus does. And so in our passage today, Jesus is he's going to give us great practical advice, but he's also going to get to the heart of where worry comes from. And so the context of this passage in in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be starting in verse 22 here in a second. But the context is that Jesus has been warning his disciples about the dangers of covetousness. In other words, he's been warning them of the dangers of desiring things that don't belong to you. And he's just finished sharing a parable about this farmer who is experiencing great prosperity. But instead of using his prosperity to honor God, he uses it to store up for himself in preparation that he would be able to have the pleasures of this world and a comfortable life. And he says it's foolish to do that. Jesus says, don't be like that farmer. Live for eternity instead. Don't be selfish like him. And so today's passage, it deals with the solution really to covetousness. So this is a follow-up from the last part of the passage. And the opposite of covetousness is contentment. And there's a connection between anxiety and covetousness that I want you to see. See, anxiety is a natural byproduct of coveting. When you covet money but you don't feel like you have enough, it causes anxiety and worry. If, if you covet being the perfect mom and then your children disobey you, you worry and you have anxiety. If you covet being successful 
at your job or whatever it is, and yet then you miss a deadline or you're late to a meeting, you worry and you have anxiety. And so there's a connection between covetousness and anxiety. And so here, what Jesus does in this passage is he gives us nine reasons not to worry. And so yeah, you're right, this is like nine-point sermon. So I hope you're, you're ready to, got, got your popcorn, right? I'm just kidding, we'll go fast. Hold on, because we're going to move quickly through these. Let's pray first, and then we're going we're gonna to read this passage, and, and then look at the nine reasons Jesus gives us not to worry. Father, we confess to you right now that often we, we worry because we just simply don't trust you to take care of us. And so I plead with you right now that as we walk through this passage, your word and your spirit would infiltrate our hearts to enlighten them so that we would trust you more and we would obey you and it would cause us to be free of worry and free to be radically generous for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's walk through this. Starting in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory are not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourself money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail." where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for there your treasure is, and there will your heart be also. All right, nine reasons why you don't need to worry, but instead you ought to seek the kingdom of God. Number one, if you're taking notes. Look at verse 23. For life is more than. And I want you to fill in the blank there. Okay, so, so this really gets to the source of worry. Paul says that covetous, covetousness is actually idolatry. And so the sin of idolatry involves often turning good things into 
like the ultimate thing, a God thing. Your kids are a good thing, but often we can idolize them. They become an, a God thing, the ultimate thing. Your, your, your job is a good thing, but it can, can become an ultimate thing, a God thing. And so you begin to experience worry because these things of the world were never meant, were never designed to, to satisfy you. Uh, the, these things, whether it's, whether it's food or clothes or, mo- or money or, or marriage or children or, or health or your career, none of them are stable enough to give you the peace that Jesus offers. And so Jesus is saying those things ought not be your life. They ought not consume you. School should not consume you. Your job should not consume you. Your kids should not consume your life. They are not. There's more to life than those things. And so the question you need to ask yourself as you're filling in that blank is, what have you made too much of? What in your life have you turned from, and more than likely it's a good thing that you've turned into an ultimate thing. More than likely it's not food or clothing. Those were the things that Jesus was addressing in this passage because those are the things that caused worry to his audience. They didn't have a grocery store that they could run to or go on the internet and order their groceries. They had to work diligently to feed their families. So that's what he addressed. But if Jesus were talking to you right now, what might he say? Life is more than what? Maybe life is more than Facebook. Life is more than the ACT test that you've got coming up. Life is more than that promotion, or life is more than happiness that your kids might bring you if they're behaving. Life is more than what? I would encourage you that this week that you would spend time praying and confessing to the Lord what these idols are, that you would confess to God uh, what you're struggling and putting before Him and that you would even write that prayer out. Maybe it sounds something like, God, look, I know that this is a good thing, but it's a finite thing. This is, this is, it's weak. It can't satisfy me. It's not stable enough to give me peace. This thing is not my life. Jesus is my life. I would encourage you to spend time this week wrestling with those idols and confessing them to the Lord and saying, look, I need peace from these things. Jesus goes on. Number two, reasons why not to worry. Number two is you are extremely valuable in God's eyes. Look at verse 24. You are extremely valuable in God's eyes. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And so in other words, these birds, they don't even try. They, they don't. They're not worried about retirement. <laughs> okay, they're not, they're, they're not struggling to to figure out their schedules for the week and worrying about the busyness of, of the world we live in. They're, they're not worried about a 401k. They're not, they're not working hard at their job, putting in 50, 60 hours a week. And yet God cares for them. 
God takes care of it. Don't you know that God values you way more than he values these birds? Surely he will take care of you. He values you. How do you know how much he values you? Uh, Jeremy, you, uh, earlier you're online, I saw you were trying to sell like an amp and a, a recorder. Um, did you ever sell it? Okay. Well, and, and I noticed that on there you said that, that I, I don't know how much it's worth. Give me, a, give me an offer, right? I can tell you how much it's worth. It's worth however much somebody is willing to pay you. That's how much it's worth, okay? That's how we determine value, right? We deter- you determine value by how much somebody is willing to give up for that. And so how much is God willing to pay for you? How much is he willing to give up for you? Only his son. That's how much. And this is the awesome thing about that. That never changes. Your value never depreciates. Doesn't matter how old you get. Doesn't matter what you've done or what you're going through or what circumstances you're going through. What he is willing to pay for you never changes. He values you way more than the birds that he cares for. And so... I would highly encourage you, memorize, meditate on Romans 8. Write the address down. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. But r- write down Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Meditate on that passage. It will produce and cultivate peace in your heart. Number three, another reason why not to worry from Jesus. Worry never helps you. Look at verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, they why are you anxious about the rest? I love how Jesus says it's a small thing to add to our lives. For him it is. I mean, snap his fingers. We can live longer. But here he says, look, you can't do that. So why, why worry? It's, worry is not going to extend your life. In fact, actually, it shortens it, right? Uh, there, there's been many studies on this. There was a study in 2008, the University of Purdue uh, they, they followed 1,600 men ages 43 to 91, and they followed them for 12 years to examine how those with neuro- neurotic personalities, in other words, those that had just high anxiety all the time, how did they fare over time? And at the end of that 12 years, 50% of those who had high or rising neurotic patterns were dead, compared to 85% of the other group was still alive. And so not only does worry not help, it, it, it can shorten your life. And not only does it hurt you, it hurts everybody around you. I mean, think about it. How has worry and anxiety hurt the people that you love most? I, I, I can tell you just from personal experience, I don't know that there's been anything more damaging to my marriage or to my kids than my own anxiety and my own heart. I, at the marriage conference, Paul Tripp talked about how hard it is for somebody who is not content to be able to love other people. And the same is true with anxiety. 
Because when we're full of anxiety, when we're not content with what, where God has us, what are we doing? We're constantly thinking about ourselves, about our own problems. How difficult does that make it for us to love and care for the people around us? Often, anxiety causes us to go in one of two directions with the people we love. We either become overly dependent on them because we're looking to them as our Savior. We're looking to them to satisfy us and to fulfill our needs and our desires. And, and so we easily get frustrated with them. We are suspicious that they, are, they, they don't really love us. They don't really care for us. And... Jesus is saying here that, look, that kind of anxiety, that that doesn't help you. In fact, it hurts you and it hurts everybody around you. The other way we go is maybe anxiety causes us to just avoid and detach from other people. We become cold. We become emotionally unavailable. We we become standoffish. And so, again, worry never helps you. It only hurts you and it only hurts the people around you. Number four. Jesus says, look, God is trustworthy. Again, he points to nature. He points to the lilies. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Again, they don't even try. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So again, I'm going to take care of you. I value you way more than the, the lilies. Then he goes on. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? And then he says this. This is really significant. He says, oh, you of little faith. This is where Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. At the core of your struggle with anxiety is a lack of faith. If you don't address your unbelief, anything else you do to alleviate the pain of worry is like taking a Tylenol for a headache that's actually being caused by a brain tumor that's growing. It may help your head feel better for a moment, but you're ignoring the thing that's killing you. We need to recognize the Bible, the Bible never teaches that you won't experiencing you won't experience anxiety. The Bible does not teach you teach that you won't ever worry. Our, our world is broken. There's going to be things that cause us concern and anxiety. But the Bible is very clear on what we should do with that worry. And what we should do with that anxiety. Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. 1 Peter 5.7, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. And so we battle against the unbelief of anxiety by fostering faith through the normal means of grace, through prayer, through reading the Bible, through being a part of an of a intentional community. Because as you, as you read the Scriptures and you read about the promises of God and you ask for the Spirit of God to make those promises significant in your heart, and as you're around community that is intentionally reminding you of those, those promises, God's going to use those means to to grow your faith and to rid you from anxiety. If you don't deal with your lack of belief, all you're doing is putting a Band-Aid on the problem. For example, when, I, when I'm anxious about being able to pay the bills or, or about a flood coming back 
and <laughs> destroying our building or whatever else. I need to hear the promise of Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to remind me of these truths in those moments that, that even if I lose everything that's humanly possible to lose, I still have Christ and all the riches that he offers in his kingdom. I need to be reminded of that promise often through his word, through prayer, and through others. And so we need to be reminded that God is trustworthy. Number five, fifth reason why not to worry. The Father knows what you need. Look at verse 29. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Your Father. That, that, word, that word seek here means to set your heart on. It's another way of saying life is more than eating and drinking. Again, Jesus is saying, look, trust God. He's a good Father who cares for you deeply, more than you care for yourself. And he knows what you need better than what you know that you need. Often what we ask for and what we need is not really what we need. And so when we get worried about not getting something or when we are worried about losing something that we have, often those are the things that we don't really need. God knows what you need. Your situation is never a shock to God. No matter what you're going through right now, God is not up there saying, oh man, didn't see that coming. Man, what am I, I going to do now? Okay, God is never surprised. And so not only do you have a good father that cares for you and knows best for you, he also has the capacity to care for you. He has the power to care for you. He has the riches and the glory not just of a father, but of a king, the king of the universe. And so the father knows what you need. Number six, as you seek his kingdom, God will provide everything you need. Look at verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And so what are these things? Now, I don't think that Jesus here is saying that if you have a really strong faith and you seek God's kingdom, he is going to give you all the food and the, the clothing that you need. There are Christians today that are starving and dying. That's just the reality of the world we live in. So what does he mean here? What is he talking about that these things will be added? He's saying that, look, everything that you need to prepare you for the kingdom will be given to you as you Pursue the kingdom. Everything that you need, not everything that you want. In fact, Paul in, R in Romans 8 says that, look, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to the slaughter. But then he also says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So even if you lost, even if you had no food, even if you... Even if your health fails you, you still can have everything you need for the kingdom, for his kingdom. That's what he 
offers. That's what he's preparing us for. And so when you seek the kingdom of God, you begin to realize that, look, I, I need nothing that this world offers. All I need is Christ. I need the broken relationships to be healed. That's what the kingdom is. And this goes right into number seven. God, God is pleased to give you that kingdom. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is what he's looking forward to. God is looking forward to giving you a place where all of those relationships are healed. But there's no, there's no more brokenness. There's no more separation between you and God. There's no more sin as a barrier. For all of eternity, you'll be in his presence. There's no more hostility between you and other people. There's no more wars. There's no more jealousy. There's no more coveting what other people have. There's no more, there's no more working your, your knuckles to the, the bare bone because work is going to be joyful. Creation will be at peace with us. There'll be no more floods to worry about. There'll be no more, no more tsunamis to worry about. There, and, and going back to our text, there'll be no more worry, no more anxiety. The relationship between us and us will be healed completely. We'll be fully at peace, fully present here and now. He doesn't simply offer this kingdom because he feels sorry for us either. He doesn't offer it because he feels obligated to. It's his good pleasure to give it to us. He, he's acting out of his deepest delight. God finds great joy in giving away the riches of his kingdom to his children. He's not looking for you to earn his kingdom. It's a gift that he offers if you would only believe in what Christ has done for you on the cross. He doesn't promise money. He doesn't promise worldly possessions. He promises something much greater, a treasure that will last for all of eternity. Which brings us to number eight, which is a huge encouragement that you can store up treasure in heaven that will never fail or be lost. And if you look at 33, this frees us to be radical givers. He says in verse 33, So sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Notice Jesus here is not saying, look, you give $10 to the church and he's gonna, God's going to give you $1,000 back. Okay, that's the, that's the lie of the health and wealth prosperity gospel. He says, look, you give away and become radically generous, you're going to receive something back way better than an than a earthly possession. You're going to receive a treasure that will last for all of eternity. You will receive something, but it will be in the future, in God's kingdom, which brings us back full circle in Jesus' teaching here. Remember, he had just shared this parable about a man who was storing up treasure so that he could be comfortable in this lifetime. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like that fool. Instead, store up treasure that will last for all of eternity. Which brings us to number nine, 
as you seek his kingdom, your, your heart will actually be healthier. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so there's a diagnostic application here that you want to know where your heart is. Well, just look at your bank account, where your money is. That's where your heart is. And the Bible makes it clear that 1 Timothy 6, 9, th- those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, to a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So it's, it's dangerous to pursue worthly treasure. And what you see throughout Scripture is that God promises that those who set their hearts not on this world but on the kingdom, your heart's going to be healthy and happy. The Bible makes it clear that the greatest givers are also the happiest people in the world. Proverbs 14, 21, happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Proverbs 22, 9, he who is generous will be blessed. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than receive. As we focus on God's kingdom and God. causes our worry to to fade away. We become radical givers. I think we've been given good reason not to worry. And so I would challenge you one more time to, to pray this week that we would be a church where our greatest treasure is nothing in this world, but it is Christ and His kingdom. And so let's Let's pray that God would help us with that this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us a heart that loves you above everything else, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our jobs, in in our school. I pray that you would help us to be a church that is freed from the bondage of worry, that is freed up to be radically generous, especially to those who are needy and hurting. I pray that we would be a church that is courageous, that's willing to take risks. I pray that we would be a church that is filled with compassion, that's kingdom-minded, that's fully satisfied by Christ full of contentment. I thank you that you have given us everything that we need in your word for faith. I pray that we would turn towards you and away from sin. In Jesus' name, amen.